I keep having to remind myself that uh, it's not Monday. <laughs> it is Tuesday. But it feels like a Monday. Maybe in three. so it many does. ways. Yes, doesn't it? Yes. So much so. But, uh, and here's the, the good and bad news of it, and I, I just don't know where May went. It's it's for all practical purposes gone, Joe Day. That's right. It is gone. We need three-day weekends like that at least once a month. I think that would be a great idea. Call your local congressman and see how far that gets you, Joe. All right. Yeah. We'll come up with some ideas Bob, you've got holidays. contacts. Why don't you take that on? I don't know if I've got contacts to be able to do, to do that. <laughs> He's just a cog in the wheel, as we learned um, pre-show. Yeah. The Bob I'm cog. a small cog in the wheel. <laughs> <laughs> Don't you fool anybody with that, my friend. No, sir. It is uh, midday on the Rural Radio Network. Over to Joe we go for Ag Headlines. Well, one important cog in the meatpacking wheel has stepped down. The chairman of JBSSA there in South America is stepping down in the week of that big bribery scandal that took place uh, this month of May that's gone. Uh, and also the woman who embezzled millions from the Oklahoma Beef Council. She entered a plea in court last week. We'll tell you what that was. Dewey Nelson's up at 1219 with Dean Hefta, director of Water Street Solutions. They'll be talking about common factors of successful farms. Jesse has our newsmaker today who is Representative Roger Marshall of Kansas. Uh, he's visiting with her about trade. Most of their conversation was on NAFTA. Of course, uh, Mr. Marshall is on the House Ag Committee. And they had a good discussion, and we'll bring that to you in our newsmaker segment. Jesse's back with Jordan Hildebrand, program assistant, and Kansas Wheat. They'll be talking about the Kansas Wheat Yield Contest. You know, harvest is just weeks away in uh, Kansas and then up into Nebraska. So they'll be talking about the Kansas Wheat Yield Contest. Registrations for that will end June 1st. Okay, looking forward to all of it. Thank you very much, Joe. And uh, over to Brandon we go, who's got the sports chair today. A little bit of sports check, and uh, sure enough, uh, if you had a good weekend, that's good. But Tiger Woods obviously did not have such a good weekend, even though his blood alcohol content from the reports that have been published, blood alcohol content was .00, but whether it's a DUI or a DWI state, it's driving under the influence or driving while intoxicated doesn't necessarily have to be alcohol. And in this case, it could be drugs, uh, illicit or prescription or otherwise. And he told police officers at the scene that, uh, sure enough, he had taken a number of prescription pills because of his n- numerous back issues. And never let it be said that baseball players don't have a good memory. Because in the 2014 National League playoffs, Bryce Harper hit two home runs off of Hunter Strickland. That was two and a half years ago. What does this have to do with today? Hunter Strickland pegged Bryce Harper yesterday in the hip, and literally Harper came out swinging. So relievers have the memory of an elephant, because two and a half years ago, Harper hit hit two dingers and then decided to get back at him of all times yesterday. I see. Benches cleared, bullpens cleared. I watched it happen live. It was quality, non-family entertainment on Memorial Day. But isn't that why we watch hockey? But this is baseball, Dirk. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Bob we watch hockey for the fights and baseball for the naps. Yes. <laughs> I went to a fight and a baseball game broke <laughs> out. Absolutely, Bob Rogan. Okay. Absolutely. Bob and business. Well, stocks are down. U.S. home prices though are rising two times faster than wages and lots of folks out there of course are concerned about that also conagra brand sells wesson brand for 285 million dollars in a well-oiled deal to smucker oh Oh. you are so good it's all coming up for you on mid 
Paul Perkins is in with our regional ag weather brought to you today by Coolman Repair. And we get, uh, I don't know, I guess the, the polar opposites as far as the wet airflow is concerned, and that might make all the difference in the moisture. Huh? Exactly, yeah, exactly. Uh, some northwest winds helping to make it feel very nice. Uh, you may have noticed that over the weekend, and we're still getting that today. Some northwest winds helping to keep that humidity down, but that will start to change tomorrow. We'll be, be on the south side of a warm front that will be lifting north through the region. Some of that warm and humid air moving into the region. Right now we do have high pressure pushing in from the north. That's giving us those sunny skies today. Seasonal temperatures in those northwest winds and that northwest flow keeping the humidity low. That change is a little bit more for tomorrow. Not going to be an overly humid situation, but a front to the south will lift to the north tomorrow as a warm front. A little more humidity, a little more warm air across the region. Some scattered thunderstorms with that warm and humid air and that unstable situation. And so we could see some scattered thunderstorms. Not expecting a big outbreak of uh, thunderstorms. A few of them may be severe. Widespread severe activity not expected, but we could see a few strong or severe ones. Another chance of some scattered thunderstorms later in the week for Friday into Saturday when a cold front moves through the region. We'll see a couple of warm days on Thursday and Friday, and then that front moves through the day on Friday into Saturday with those uh, clashes of the air masses and the chances at scattered thunderstorms. A ridge of high pressure moves overhead for most of the weekend. That'll keep it mainly dry and right at seasonal for this time of year. That high pressure ridge, though, Looks to start breaking down by Monday and Tuesday, and that could lead to more widespread thunderstorm chances in our forecast for early next week. Now, in the long-term forecast, Nebraska and Kansas forecast to see near normal or just to just below normal temperatures Sunday through June 12th. We're right on the edge there. The better chances of being cooler than normal will be over the central and east areas of Nebraska and Kansas. And during early June in central Nebraska, daytime highs start to average in the low 80s with overnight lows on average in the upper 50s, above normal precipitation starts our long-term forecast for early next week in Nebraska and Kansas. Then we trend to near-normal precipitation in the middle of next week through the 12th. Soil temperatures at the 4-inch depth at 7 this morning in the upper 40s across the panhandle. Most soil temperatures in Nebraska in the low 50s, but from Grand Island and Hastings into southeast Nebraska, and the north half of Kansas, that's where we found soil temperatures in the mid to upper 50s. Soil temperatures across the south half of Kansas in the low 60s. Weather factors driving the decisions of market traders today include a drier pattern in the Midwest this week and hotter and drier conditions forming in China. Warmth across the far west will make a gradual eastward push to sections of the northern plains and upper Midwest. But much of the rest of the United States experiencing near or below normal temperatures. That includes the chances of patchy frost through midweek across the northern plains and upper Midwest. And we did have some below freezing temperatures this morning in the Nebraska Panhandle. Alliance got down to 31. A fairly active weather pattern will persist across much of the country with periodic showers the next five days from the northern plains into the northeast, also the southeast plains and mid-south. A slightly drier trend in the Midwest will help after a cool and wet weather pattern this month. That's affected their planning and also forced some replanting. There may be increasing disease issues in the southern plains with periods of rain and cooler than normal temperatures in the forecast. Excessive rain in the Delta and southeast helped after a dry early spring but likely caused some flooding. And the North China Plain, very hot and mostly dry over this last weekend. It's going to help with maturing wheat and early harvest but also 
be unfavorable for germination and early development of spring planted crops in China. Regional Ag Weather brought to you by Kuhlman Repair. Just to make sure that I'm not hearing things, uh-huh. did I hear you say the words patchy frost? Yes, across portions in the northern plains. Mainly, you know, as you head towards the Dakotas and the upper portions in the Midwest. But, yeah, we got down to 31 this morning in Alliance. That's just <laughs> crazy. We're just a few days away from You're June. Two days from June. <laughs> Unbelievable. All right. Well, we got to take his word for it because, you know, he takes whoever's word for it. Exactly. I don't know who you're listening to. Just the messenger. All this fake news. <laughs> and when you need weather anytime. KRVN.com. Here's a look at ag information from the Rural Radio Network. I'm Joe Gangwish. Well, the chairman of the world's largest meat producer, JBSSA, stepping down on Friday, weeks after telling prosecutors his company bribed Brazilian politicians, including the president of that country, in exchange for taxpayer-subsidized loans and other favors. Josely Batista, the youngest son of JBS's founder and the architect of the fast-growing expansion here in the U.S. and other international markets will be replaced immediately by board member Tariq Farad, the company saying in a statement late Friday. Then JBS essay confirming that the former chairman used an airplane belonging to the firm to travel to the U.S. after signing a plea bargain agreement with prosecutors. In a regulatory statement, the company said that CEO Wesley Batista, uh, Josely's older brother, gave him permission to use JBS's Gulfstream jet to leave Brazil with the required approval from local prosecutors in order to guarantee the younger Batista's safety. Former Oklahoma Beef Council employee Melissa Morton, she pled guilty last week to embezzling $2.6 million from the beef checkoff over the course of seven years. She now awaits sentencing from the court. The Beef Council Board of Directors says this is a significant step towards bringing the criminal matter to a conclusion. The board is aggressively pursuing efforts to maximize the $2.68 million restitution awarded by a civil court last month. The board says the matter has been incredibly complicated as it moved through civil and criminal courts. They're limited in the information they can release to the public and will be for a few months as the case moves into the sentencing phase. Well, for one pork producer, he's very grateful that work can continues to showcase his product around the world. Let's get more from Susan Littlefield. You're busy raising hawks, so you don't have the time to showcase your product globally. That's where an organization like the U.S. Meat Export Federation steps in. I caught up with Bill Lucky, a pork producer from Columbus, Nebraska, as we talked about the importance of trade with USMEF and where their focus has turned to. Um, We're looking at new opportunities in South America, uh, Peru, Chile, Argentina, different areas. So there's a lot of different fronts that USMEF is working on on our behalf. It really shows the, the importance of the boots on the ground, shall we say, to be able to get the story out about what producers are doing but put that face behind that product that they're buying yeah and there's a a lot of trade uh, missions going over to other countries and that's what we we try to do it helps us to understand how our dollars are being spent but it also shows our customers who we are and what we're doing and show show them the care that we give our animals and the quality product that we're going to be able to provide for them Comments from Nebraska pork producer Bill Lucky at the USMEF's Spring Conference in Alexandria, Virginia. 
Also, the U.S. Trade Representative has yet to name the next chief ag negotiator for his office. We get more on that from Jesse Harding. Last week, the House Agriculture Committee hosted a roundtable between the U.S. Trade Representative and USDA Secretary. Their Lighthizer indicated where that person might be coming from. And that's according to Representative Roger Marshall of Kansas and on the House Agriculture Committee. I think that he's talking about, uh, even within the next week or two, that that person will be named. And I think they have the person chosen and he told me that the uh the midwest would be excited about his pick <laughs> so he he assured me it was from a very learned institution famous for uh producing agriculture mines so we're looking forward to see who this person is representative marshall said most of their time was spent discussing nafta more information on this interview can be found by visiting rollradio.com for the Rural Radio Network, I'm Jesse Harding. That's our ag news. More at ruralradio.com. This is the Rural Radio Network. Common factors of successful farms. Let's talk about this with Dean Hefta, director with Water Street Solutions. What common threads have you seen in farms that have been successful in the past few years? Well, you know, as farm income has continued to fall over the past three years, uh, our advisors have really noticed some commonalities among farms that have found success despite what's going on in the ag downturn. And it may seem as if it's going to be something like a bunch of inherited ground or an endless supply of, of cash from a wealthy family member. All of those things help, but, you know, those don't give us insights. So don't give us really lessons to inform farm leadership. In fact, it's something every farm leader and operation has direct power and control over. It's the decisions that are being made on the farm, and it's how those decisions ultimately impact the financial state and success of the operation. That's what really matters. You know, the farm operation in its current state is really the sum of all the decisions that the leader has made leading up to that. Think of it as, you know, many of the farms that continue to thrive continue to demonstrate that. Dean, what else do they have in common? Well, you know, you can look at these commonalities. They've committed to following through on tough decisions that they've made. So it isn't just about making the right decision. It's the commitment and the follow-through to seeing the decisions through. So they're focused on efficiency and continually getting better uh, at what they do. Most of all, they keep the farm's goals front and center. They know their farm's numbers and where they're at at all times. They use the numbers in their decision-making and work with trusted advisors to get perspective and ideas as they make decisions. So these farmers are really lifelong students of the business of farming and of their own operations. They've dedicated themselves to uh, farming for the long haul and are really willing to do what it takes to get through the tough times in a smart way. And it's not without, you know, bumps and bruises along the way, of course, but it's really tied to the desire to learn from every situation that that farm leader encounters. And I believe that their commitment to building their competencies in leading their operation, in financial savvy, in creating strong business relationships is largely why they will see success in the long run. Those are those resilient type characteristics of those successful farms. I also think that the way they work through and make decisions for their operation, uh, most of all why they're making the decisions that they do, will really determine the level of the farm success. Dean, what types of decisions would this apply to? All decisions on the farm make a difference. Uh, Even those decisions that don't seem to have an immediate or direct impact on the farm's bottom line. And really the sum of every decision makes the operation what it is. All decisions need to be considered and treated as important. So you think about your goals that you have for the operation. Consider where you're at now and the decisions 
that have brought you to this point in time. How might you start to refine the process that you have? So identifying what, what is the process that I have for making decisions? How do I need to change that? What are some tools that I can bring in to improve my decision-making process? What do you need to think about as you approach major decisions that are coming down the pipe that are on the horizon? And what else needs to be involved? Maybe there are specific people with specific skills that I need to bring into that decision-making process. So who can I turn to for perspective and additional ideas? Do I have trusted advisors that I can talk to as I work through the decisions? Am I you know, committed to being the type of farm leader that really takes responsibility and control of the decisions on the farm, but also brings in the insights of the people that have the perspective? Have any more questions about this or any other topic? Contact waterstreet.org or call 866-249-2528. You're listening to Midday on the Rural Radio Network. Time to check sports. And in today is Brandon Bits. Good afternoon, Dirk. Police say Tiger Woods was asleep at the wheel but had no alcohol in his system when officers spotted his car stopped along a Florida road this weekend. An affidavit released on Tuesday said Woods was alone and wearing his seatbelt when Jupiter, Florida police officers found his Mercedes early Monday morning in the right-hand lane. The car's engine was running and its headlights were on. The report says officers woke Woods, who then, quote, had an extremely slow and slurred speech, end quote. According to the report, Woods was confused and asked how far away he was from home. Officers said Woods was cooperative but failed a roadside field sobriety test. Breath and urine tests both showed no alcohol in his system. Nebraska baseball is one of five Big Ten schools to make the NCAA baseball tournament. The Huskers are the second seed in the Corvallis Regional, making it to the NCAA tournament for the 15th time in school history. They begin action on Friday afternoon at 3 p.m. versus Yale University. The other game in the bracket has number one overall national seed Oregon State against Holy Cross. If the Huskers win, they will play Saturday night at 9 p.m. Central, and if they lose, they play at 3 p.m. Saturday afternoon. Washington National slugger Bryce Harper and Giants reliever Hunter Strickland are certain to get penalized by Major League Baseball after a fight in San Francisco yesterday. Hit in the hip with a 98-mile-an-hour fastball, Harper charged the mound, flung his helmet, and traded punches to the head with Strickland. Then both were ejected, but not before both benches and bullpens cleared. No injuries were reported. Strickland and Harper had not faced each other since Harper hit two home runs off Strickland all the way back in the 2014 National League playoffs. Angel star Mike Trout has opted to have surgery for a torn ligament on his left thumb. The two-time American League and reigning MVP was hurt Sunday, making a headfirst slide on a stolen base attempt in Miami. Trout has been put on the disabled list for the first time in his career, and surgery tomorrow will sideline him for six to eight weeks. The Pittsburgh Penguins broke a 37-minute shot drought to score the winning goal in the final minutes to beat the Nashville Predators 5-3 in Game 1 of the Stanley Cup Finals last night. The Penguins jumped out to a 3-0 first-period lead. Then the defending Stanley Cup champions blew that lead when they didn't have a shot for exactly 37 minutes. The Pens then got a goal with 3:17 remaining in regulation on just their ninth shot of the night. And today is the annual media day for the Nebraska Shrine Bowl. Players from each team will meet with patients from the Shrine Hospital. The 59th annual game is set for this Saturday on the campus of the University of Nebraska at Kearney. Kickoff time is set for 2 p.m. You can hear that game on Saturday along many of our rural radio network of stations. That's a look at sports. Stay tuned. More of Midday is just ahead. 
Clear skies in Nebraska tonight, lows in the mid to upper 40s. I'm Dave Schroeder. Atchison County authorities in Kansas say a man died after an ATV he was riding rolled over and landed on top of him. Sheriff Jack Laurie says that 64-year-old Michael Bodenhausen died in an accident Monday on a farm north of Muscoda in northeast Kansas. Laurie says Bodenhausen was spraying thistles from the ATV when it rolled over. He was pronounced dead at the scene. ConAgra is selling Wesson Oil for $285 million to the J.M. Smucker Company as it hones its focus on its strongest brands. CEO Sean Conley said the sale is part of a reorganization that was undertaken after he was picked to lead ConAgra in 2015. ConAgra moved its headquarters to Chicago from Omaha. Schmucker said Wesson is expected to add $230 million in sales and roughly $30 million in pre-tax earnings. ConAgra Brands will initially continue producing Wesson after the sale until the work moves to Smucker's existing oil manufacturing plant in Cincinnati, Ohio. The most recent leading economic indicator index from the University of Nebraska-Lincoln suggests economic growth may slow in Nebraska during the fourth quarter of 2017. Economist Eric Thompson, director of the Bureau of Business Research, says the indicator fell by 0.88% in April, despite rising rapidly in the three previous months. Businesses remain very optimistic about sales and employment over the next six months. However, uh, hard economic data about the economy was less optimistic. There was a decline on a seasonally adjusted basis in building permits for single-family homes, in manufacturing hours, and in airline passenger employments. There also was a tick up in initial claims for unemployment insurance in our state. The leading economic indicator report is produced monthly by faculty and students in the Bureau of Business Research in Nebraska's College of Business Administration. The U.S. Geological Survey says two more earthquakes were recorded in Kansas during the Memorial Day weekend, bringing the total to nine earthquakes in May. The agency says an earthquake with magnitude 2.5 was recorded Monday about 10 miles west of Bell Plain in Sumner County. That came a day after a 2.6 magnitude earthquake was recorded eight miles west of Bell Plain. The House Agriculture Committee was able to hear for the very first time from the U.S. Trade Representative last week. For the Rural Radio Network, I'm Jesse Harding. On the phone with us is Representative Roger Marshall from Kansas, who also sits on the House Ag Committee. Representative, why don't we talk a little bit about this roundtable that was hosted between the House Ag Committee, USTR, and Secretary Sonny Perdue. Well, Jesse, thanks for having me on and say hi to all my listeners in Nebraska and Kansas, and, and we appreciate the time to keep communicating what's happening in the world of agriculture. As you stated, we got to meet the U.S. Trade Representative for the first time, Bob Lighthizer, and, and he came with the Secretary of Agriculture, and it was a very, very positive, very upbeat meeting. Certainly, we have two gentlemen that know their field. They know it very well. I'm going to just start by sharing something that the Secretary of Agriculture, he said, which, which heartened me. He said that a healthy United States economy is dependent upon agriculture. A good ag economy is dependent upon trade. That's how he opened the meeting, uh, I think, as a priority to him. And uh, just, just a very, very positive meeting and glad to share some more about some of the specifics with you. 
Obviously, the biggest topic of conversation right now is NAFTA with the trade representative officially stating that we are going to enter into those renegotiations. And there's a lot of different perspectives just within agriculture about NAFTA. Why don't we start first with a grains community that's a little concerned about that, wanting to make sure that specifically to Mexico, the crops that we produce here in the United States can go there. What were some of the general feelings that took place when it does come to those discussions about NAFTA and how agriculture applies to those discussions? Yeah, thank you. And certainly we spent a lot of time, the U.S. Trade Representative spoke a lot about this as well yesterday. And again, I'm almost quoting him. He said, number one, he wanted to avoid disruption. He doesn't want any type of disruption in, in what's going on now. He said that we don't want to do any harm. He said specifically we want to maintain what we have and open up new markets. And he said his marching orders from the president, even when they do that, that the president wants more. He wants them to open up more markets. So it was exciting to him for me to hear him use those words, avoid disruptions and not do any harm to maintain what we have. So that was very encouraging. On the flip side to that, the dairy industry looking towards Canada with NAFTA is hoping to change some of those things, make it easier for U.S. products to re-enter there. A lot of hurt going on in some of those northern dairy producing states. On the flip side, when we are looking to make some of these changes, what was the feeling from the roundtable meeting? Yeah, and again, it was interesting to me as I kind of uncovered the layers of this onion is that at first I thought, oh, this would just impact the northern states. States, but you may know that Garden City has a new dry milk factory going up, which is going to be mostly exported. So these issues with Canada, which are artificially lowering the price of milk uh, internationally, will impact even Kansas and Nebraska producers as well. But, but I would say that the sentiment from the U.S. trade rep is that I think they said something to the effect the United States has been a patsy and that there's now a new sheriff in town and they want to be able to enforce the, the current agreements. And I think that there's a little bit of a flavor from this administration that other countries perhaps have taken advantage of us. So it's always a, a walking a fine line to saying, look, we certainly want open trade markets but, and, and free trade markets, but it also has to be fair. So I think you're going to see quite a change from the previous Obama administration to this administration that they want to enforce the, the current rules we have. From the sentiment that you got from both the Ag Secretary and Trade Representative on this roundtable, moving forward, was there anything that they maybe put your mind at ease for some of those concerns producers and ag groups might have on that? Oh, I, I think the tone of the, of the Secretary of Agriculture is perfect for his role. He's such a friendly personality, and I see the Trade Representative uh, Bob Lighthizer kind of going behind him and dotting I's and crossing T's. I do think even our president, when he though his tone and rhetoric is a little bit strong for us, when he meets with these, actually it seems to open markets. And I think uh, China's a great example. We're, we, he says we're going to have our first load of beef to China on July 16th. So I'm very results-oriented. I want to see results. I don't want to form committees and, and just talk about it. So I'm very optimistic that this administration is going to be very outcomes-based. With USTR Lighthizer being recently confirmed, still working through his staff, was there any mention about the chief agriculture negotiator for USTR being named in? What kind of feelings he gave on that? 
Uh, very soon. I, I think that he's talking about, uh, w- even within the next week or two, that that person will be named, and I think they have the person chosen, and he told me that the uh, the Midwest would be excited about his pick. <laughs> so he, he assured me it was from a very learned institution, famous for uh, producing agriculture mines. So we're looking forward to see who this person is. As you're moving forward with these discussions with producers in D.C., with other representatives, elected officials, where are your feelings generally overall moving forward? Well, Jesse, it amazes me the opportunities that are afforded to me. Um, Recently, we got to meet with the ambassador from Taiwan, Japanese representatives. We met several grain buyers from Mexico last week. I'm on my way to meet some of the U.S.-Mexico meat buyers as, as well. So certainly we are trying to make relationships, uh, and as I told the Secretary yesterday, we plan on standing right beside he and the U.S. trade rep uh, promoting agriculture. We've been talking with Representative Roger Marshall, who was able to hear firsthand from the U.S. trade representative and the agriculture secretary where things are currently standing when it comes to agriculture trade. For the Rural Radio Network, I'm Jesse Harding. Next up, we'll talk with Joe Teal, Great Plains Commodities, about these livestock futures. And I think feeder cattle made this statement today that uh, we're going to rally. Well, they did rally. Um, I think a lot of it coming from the corn market, uh, uh, which came under a lot of pressure along with the beans. So that really helped propel uh, the uh, feeder market. The uh, cattle market was higher, though, also. Uh, uh, and I think a lot of it, uh, I think, from the cattle on feed report, I think it got a little overdone right after the report. And uh, uh, that we got some uh, short covering uh, after a lower opening on both. And uh, then with the uh, lower grain, the, the feeders really took the lead and uh, uh, got some uh, uh, over $2, uh, near $3 even on the, uh, on, uh, the nearby August contract. But uh, we're staying with the volatility. It, it wasn't going to go away, and uh, here we are back again. So uh, uh, look for uh, more volatility. Cutouts were uh, mixed. The uh, choice a little lower, the select a little higher. Uh, nothing uh, there. Uh, no trade, no uh, uh, packers out that I've heard. Hogs, a little bit lower. Uh, cash seems to kind of be uh, stalling here and that uh, is uh, caused some concern because we've had a, a premium to the index and we are uh, moving in toward the month of June which puts the June contract at a pretty good premium to that index so uh, got some uh, selling in the uh, hogs there cutouts were just near steady okay. thanks Joe Joe Teal Great Plains Commodities Dewey Nelson reporting You are almost out of time if you're a Kansas wheat producer wanting to sign up for the Yield Contest. For the Rural Radio Network, I'm Jesse Harding. With us is Jordan Hildebrand. She is a program assistant with Kansas Wheat. Jordan, why don't you tell us a little bit about what this Yield Contest is for producers who might not know that much about it? Sure. So the the 2017 Kansas Wheat Yield Contest is, I believe, our eighth Yield Contest that we've hosted at the state level. Um, we're really excited about it again this year. Um, last year we had record-breaking yields in all three of our regions. Uh, producer, producers will be competing against their uh, fellow producers in, in similar 
uh, regions. We've got the re- western region, the central region, and the eastern region. We, we would like to have the entries postmarked by June 1st, 2017, um, and there is $1,750 on the line in cash prizes. When it comes to the yield contest, obviously we're not harvesting yet. So what does that look like for a producer who does want to sign up? Sure. Uh, so just head to our, our website, uh, kswheat.com, and head to our producer section, and you'll see uh, the yield contest information displayed proudly right on the right-hand side. Uh, so we have our entry form that you can print off and just send in to us. And if you have any questions, feel free to call me at 785-539-0255 or, or shoot me over an, e- an email as well. Uh, but we also do have a bonus program uh, for the winners who use a variety from one of our sponsors. So uh, if you use a Kansas Sweet Alliance, Plains Gold, AgriPro, Lima Grain, or West Spread variety, uh, and you are one of our top three winners, you'll receive an additional $500 award in addition to that $1,000 award uh, for being the, uh, the regional winner. You talked about last year how we had some record yields. We had a pretty good growing season. When it comes to the contest, you said it's going on for multiple years now. What are you hoping a good bench number for producers to sign up for that you're hoping to see this year? So we're, we're hoping to see a couple of dozen entries again this year. Uh, that's been kind of our, our, typical, our typical reach in the past. Uh, but a lot of our, our entries are top producers from across the state who have really outstanding yields. Um, you know, the, the management practices play a lot into it, as well as a little bit of luck. And you mentioned the awards that producers could win if they do have the highest yields. Can you run through those again? And then also your list of sponsors. The first place winner in each region will receive $1,000. Our winners will receive an additional $500 bonus. Uh, if they use a variety from one of our sponsors. Again, those are Kansas Wheat Alliance, uh, Plains Gold, AgriPro, Lima Grain, and West Bread. Uh, and in addition, we also have the optional quality initiative. Uh, so we, we collect a one-gallon sample of seed at harvest, and we send it over to, uh, to ADM Milling. Um, and the winner of the quality initiative will receive $250. So again, that's you know up to $1,750 in cash prizes. Uh, for some of our producers. And again, the deadline to register to be a part of this year's yield contest is on June 1. Where can they go to get more information and to sign up? Head to ksweet.com. We've been talking with Jordan Hildebrand. She is a program assistant with the Kansas Wheat Association discussing their yield contest. And again, the deadline to register for that is on June 1st, which is on Thursday. For the Roll Radio Network, I'm Jesse Harding. It was a down day for corn, wheat, and soybean futures. Dewey Nelson on the Rural Radio Network. With us is John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst with Daniels Ag Marketing in Chicago and publisher of the newsletter This Week in Grain. As we talk about this today, it's soybeans leading the way? Absolutely. That's the story and just an unwinding of really the the carry structure in the market. So, um, you know, really up until, say, two weeks ago, this market had been inverted. And by that meaning, front-month contracts more expensive than deferred. So July futures uh, were, I think, at one point, 10, 20 cents over uh, the November, more expensive. So that really showed the demand and lack of supply for that old crop. 
as I'm talking to you guys today, we're now five under uh, the November uh, contract. So the market has essentially spread itself out, and it's starting to build in some supply costs there. This is all normal. I think with uh, with the kind of structure change we're looking at as far as the new crop goes, um, I expect this to maybe continue for a couple of days, but I think we're going to hit some value on the, on the board where uh, the U.S. exports, and, and you got to remember the beans are an export market, uh, are going to be the cheapest in the world again. I think given the time of year, with Brazil just coming off their good harvest, I think that should, should stem the tide in the short term. And the same thing might be said with corn, as we are the cheapest in the world for exports. Right, and corn, you know, to be honest, it's already done that. So the structure has changed was, what, two years ago when we saw this whole thing unwind. And I think longer run, you tend to see the market balance as you, you see that cheap incentive to buy the front month show up. But with corn, really, there's just a lack of story now. Weather has appeared to you know, I think, gone away out east here. We're, we've dried out a little bit. I think the planting story is probably going to be progressing. But, again, I, I, the story in, in corn is acreage. It's not yield at this point. I, I understand it's, it's a fun topic to be discussing online about what that nationwide yield is. But at this point, for me, it's more acreage. I, I think, you know, the debate is more as are we 89, 88. You know, if that harvested number would fall below 81 million, you're starting start to really put pressure on yield. And then at that point, I think you could, you could maybe start talking on the yield side. But for now, corn, I think, is a function of beans, and, and we're really looking at new crop here. I, I think, you know, that that's the fear for me. Uh, corn is, is has that acreage story this year, but next year, if beans would continue to fall and that new crop price would, say, fall into the eights, I think you'll get more more bean, more corn next year, and I think that would put a $4 price target on next year's harvest look pretty good in a year from now. And wheat futures, give me a quick comment on those. Uh, wheat probably is the best story out there. It's about European prices and about Russian quality right now. Both of those appear to be in friendly shape. Also about premium. It's that premium content. I talked to some guys down in Texas who are moving new crop, and they're moving 10.7 premium, which is just not good enough yet. So I think the KC is where you want to be if you want to be long. Thanks, John. John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst, Daniels Ag Marketing Chicago. Go to their website, danielsagmarketing.com. I'm Dewey Nelson.